Hey, good morning. Good morning. How you guys doing? Good. Really? Great. Oh, great. Okay. That's awesome. I believe you. Like You sound like you're pretty good. Uh, well, for those of you who don't know, my name is Jason. I'm the co-minister here at the Oceanside Sanctuary, and we've been going through a teaching on Sunday mornings called The Art of Community. We're talking about uh, what it looks like in Scripture in the New Testament for a group of people just like us to cultivate a genuine sense of community built around our, our relationship with God, both individually and collectively. And we've done this by looking through uh, passages in Acts chapter 2. Uh, and then this month, we've looked through passages in Romans chapter 12. And today, I'm going to wrap up our portion of the series on Romans chapter 12. And then next week, we're going to have a bit of community dialogue around that. We did that last month as well. We taught throughout the month. And then the last Sunday of the month, our congregation engaged in some dialogue about that teaching. We're going to do the same thing next week. So next week, we're going to have a panel of folks up here from the congregation. And we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been hearing, uh, what we've been learning, what I've been saying, and how you might disagree with what I've been saying. That's okay. I mean, occasionally. Don't like... <laughs> go out of control with that. Um, but today we're going to sort of finish up Romans chapter 12, and we're going to revisit a portion of Romans that we took, at, uh, took a look at last week. Uh, what we have been talking about, again, is what it means to live into the art of community. And last week in Romans chapter 12, if you have your Bible with you, if you turn to uh, verses 9 through 21, we read through that last week and, and really visited as a kind of list of practical things that Paul is teaching the church to do. And in this way, Paul is really encouraging us to imitate him as he imitates Christ. He says that elsewhere in the New Testament. And as we talked about it last week, and we engaged in a little bit of discussion about that passage, a, a recurring uh, bit of feedback that I heard from many of you was, there are too many things on this list to choose from as like my favorite. In other words, it's this really great long list of amazing uh, actions that Paul encourages us to take, encourages us to imitate, but it's a bit of an exhaustive list. It's a little bit overwhelming. But there was one exception to that. There is one portion of Romans chapter 12 that I consistently heard from some of you was a bit puzzling or a bit troubling. And here it is, Romans chapter 12. I want to pick it up in verse 19, Paul says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I'll repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Such a vivid passage, and it appeals to a sentiment that I think a lot of folks these days are really uncomfortable with, this idea that God is being depicted as a sort of vengeful God. So I want to take a look at that passage a little bit more closely today. But before we do, as usual, I want to ask if you would pray with me as we get started. God, we thank you again for this opportunity for us to come together and to gather, to lift up our voices and to offer our prayers to connect with each other, to encourage each other, 
uh, and to gather around uh, the words of these scriptures that inspire us and illuminate who you are and who we are, and also draw us into a life of love. We ask that you would challenge us and stretch us and grow us through these passages today, and that you would help open up our minds and our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'm a Gen Xer. For those of you who don't know what that is, it is the forgotten generation between boomers and millennials. Um, as a Gen Xer, of course, I was raised on television. For those of you who might also be Gen Xers, you might know that same experience. In Southern California in the 70s and 80s, my life was literally organized every single day and every single week based on what was on TV. I knew the TV guide verse by verse before the Bible. And there were so many good shows to choose from. The Bionic Man. So many options. But the best of all, by far, and this really isn't a debate, uh, was Starsky and Hutch. For those of you who don't remember Starsky and Hutch, it was the riveting tale of two police detectives in the fictional Southern California town of Bay City. They were both transplants to Southern California, wrestling with the cultural changes of that time. But one thing was sure, and that was that they were going to track down their mystery and get their man, whoever that turned out to be. They were going to solve the crime. They were going to overcome evil by their wits and by enforcing the policies of Bay City. That was all well and good. But what was particularly fun, of course, was the Ford Grand Torino that they drove around as they pursued the bad guys. My friends and I would recapitulate Starsky and Hutch in the front yards of our houses every single weekend. We would act out the storylines. My grandfather had an old, dusty car in the driveway of our house that had been abandoned several years before because he couldn't afford to fix it. Uh, but the great thing about that car was the battery was still good, which meant my friends and I could climb behind the wheel of that car and we could pretend to be Starsky and Hutch racing around town, flipping the switches on the dashboard and pushing in the cigarette lighter, which would get hot, which was convenient so that we could light our candy cigarettes while we were driving around chasing the bad guys. Inevitably, we would jump out of the car and we would chase the bad guys around the neighborhood. And in the end, of course, shoot them, you know, maybe wing them in the arm or the leg so that they could be captured and we would save the day. This is, of course, what it's like to be a child. You imitate the behaviors that you see modeled for you. We have an understanding of what it is like to live in the world based upon the, the ways that, the, that our models, our heroes, act in front of us. And for me, of course, most of those models were portrayed on television. And I did my very best to imitate those behaviors as well. Paul is offering us a set of actions, a set of behaviors to imitate, and for good reason. When it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 20, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but re leave room for the wrath of God. Paul is inviting us to imitate another behavior. 
And what can be hard for us to understand what Paul's saying here is that it's connected to this idea of wrath. We have all been told, if we're raised in the church, at some point that God is love. And so what does love have to do with wrath? He goes on to say, For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And then there's this particularly colorful part, verse 20. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. This is the part I think that can be a bit puzzling sometimes for us. The idea that Paul is encouraging us to do something kind, something loving from a motive of anger or vengeance. This idea that we might somehow be nice to other people or be kind to other people because what we really want to do is hurt them. Paul is very clearly appealing to that motive in his hearers. As this letter was being read to the church in Rome, certainly there were people in the congregation who wanted to hurt somebody in their lives who was hurting them. One of the issues that came up last week as we were talking about this sort of bigger passage, as some of you shared, is that some of us really do have enemies. Some of us really do have people in our lives who are seeking to hurt us, either directly or indirectly. I would say all of us have enemies. We all have people in our lives who, whether they're mean-spirited or just obsessed with their own gain, their own advancement, their own profit, their own power, control, ultimately, whatever their motives are, they are acting in ways that are hurtful to us if not physically, then verbally, emotionally, economically. And when that happens, of course, we respond defensively. We respond in anger. It is our desire to lash out and to hurt them in return. And so when Paul says, do not take out vengeance on your enemies, instead be kind to them, because when you're kind to them, when you feed them when they're hungry, when you offer them something to drink when they're thirsty, it will be like pouring hot coals on their heads. Paul is doing something very practical. He is reversing that impulse that we have by acknowledging that we have it and inviting us to reckon with that impulse and to turn it on its head. This is, of course, a quote from Proverbs chapter 25, where the author of Proverbs says exactly this. If your enemy is hungry, feed them. If your enemy is thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will pour hot coals on their heads. Just in case it isn't obvious, the author of Proverbs and Paul are not suggesting that if you're kind to your enemies, it will actually hurt them. Although it might. <laughs> they might be frustrated by it. They might be stymied by the fact that even though they're really trying to hurt you, that you're being kind to them in response. But Paul isn't actually saying that you're going to hurt them. He's saying you need to take that thing inside of you and flip it on its head, turn it around, take a different path in your life. This is a little bit like when your grandma told you 
when you had bullies at school to kill them with kindness. Your grandma wasn't actually telling you to kill them. She was telling you the opposite, right? This is a, a kind of rhetorical turn that acknowledges, on the one hand, that we have anger, that we have hurt, that we have frustration, and on the other hand, teaches us to change our behavior in an entirely opposite way. It's literally repentance. It's literally repentance to take that anger, that frustration, that desire for vengeance that we have, and instead of hurting them, to treat them with love and kindness. It's to go exact, exactly in the opposite direction. Remember, Proverbs, as we discussed a few months ago, is... Wisdom 101. It's wisdom for beginners. It's wisdom for people who are either like children or are children, who are being brought up to understand the world differently than they should. And so Paul uses this kind of reversal in order to teach a memorable lesson. Jesus does the same thing in Matthew chapter 6, verse 20, when he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures in heaven or treasure, treasures on earth, but rather uh, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Jesus is taking that same impulse to hoard and to accumulate wealth entirely for your own best interests, entirely to satisfy your own greed. And he says, no, instead of doing that, pursue treasures that will be stored up for you, not in this life, but in the next life. He's taking that base desire, and he's inviting you to flip it on its head. So again, these aren't invitations to actually harm people with kindness, to actually kill people with kindness, to actually pour hot coals on somebody's head from a place of maliciousness, but rather to learn to recognize that impulse inside of you and to turn it around into something else. This, I think, recognizes a deep truth about human beings. And that deep truth is that we imitate the behavior that we see modeled for us. We imitate what we see our models teaching us, whether those models are our parents or our grandparents or our friends in the neighborhood or the preachers and teachers at our church, or the teachers at our school, or our bosses at work when we're trying to figure out how to make our way in the world, we are creatures who imitate the behaviors of other people. It's how we find our way in life. Back in 1961, there was a psychologist who worked at Stanford who uh, conducted a series of experiments that have become famous now. And those experiments uh, were centered around a blow-up doll called Bobo. In 1961, Alfred Bandura took a blow-up doll called Bobo and put it in a room with models and teachers and a collection of other toys. And what they showed is that when you take children and you put them in a room with a model, typically an adult and that adult begins to play with the tinker toys or play with the cars or play with the dolls in a way that is non-aggressive, that later, when given an opportunity, those children will do exactly the same thing. 
They'll play with the tinker toys, and they'll play with the dolls, and they'll play with the cars in a way that is non-aggressive. But what Bandura did actually was he instructed models in certain rooms to take a mallet and hit Bobo the doll in front of the children and to verbally abuse Bobo the doll in front of the children. And then later, when given an opportunity, 90% of those children imitated that behavior. They beat up Bobo the doll. They verbally abused Bobo the doll. Even more disturbing, six months later, those children, 40% of them, demonstrated that they still were repeating those behaviors. So again, we are creatures who are deeply imitative. We imitate our social models. We become what we practice. This is, in church language, discipleship. We teach each other how to think about each other, how to think about God, how to treat each other, how to be in the world. And largely what we do as humans is we model that behavior. So what Paul is doing here is he is addressing the root issues of aggression in Roman Christians. He's saying, don't do that anymore. Don't take vengeance out on each other anymore. Instead, take that impulse that you have and turn it into something good. But he doesn't stop there. Paul goes on in verse 21 to say, after he tells them, uh, kill them with kindness, in verse 21 he says, do not be overcome by evil, but instead overcome evil with good. Paul moves here from wisdom 101 or beginning wisdom to advanced wisdom. Paul says that if we learn to behave in ways that are good for others, that that will have a contagious effect on those around us. So not only is violence and aggression contagious, not only do we learn violence and aggression from each other, but we also learn love and kindness from each other. And when we become people who are committed because of the grace and the mercy of God in our lives to treat each other well, then that literally overcomes the evil around us because it becomes contagious. Every one of us knows what this is like. Every one of us knows what it's like to see another human being act in a way that is good and kind when what they should have done was gotten angry and taken out revenge. My guess is that you've seen that at some point in your life. You've seen somebody act in ways that were surprisingly good and it inspired you, it caught you by surprise. Because of that, you you became different. This is, of course, exactly who Jesus is to us as Christians. When Paul says, do not overcome, or do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, Jesus is the ultimate model of that for us. Jesus literally faced the evil that the world had to bring him, and he responded by giving his life as a sacrifice for all 
who place their faith in him. That is the way he models love for us. In Philippians, Paul says that Jesus' act was like pouring out all of his power, all of his authority, all of his ability to respond in a way that was harmful and instead became empty. That he emptied himself of all of his privilege and power and instead became obedient to goodness. That is our model. That's what we're trying to create in any community of believers. That we are patterning our lives after Jesus. And by patterning our lives after Jesus, we are not hurting each other. We're not harming each other. We're not taking out revenge on each other or those in the world. Instead, we are taking the reality of our hurt and our harm and our frustration and our anger, and we are turning that over to God and doing good instead. And in doing that, we overcome evil with good. This is what it means for us to be a community. First and foremost, it means that we would do no harm. That when we're faced with those who hurt us and harm us, speak against us, act against us, that our response would not be harm in return. It would be forgiveness. It would be kindness. It would be goodness. It means we're, not, we're committed to not hurting other people. I, I know that sounds incredibly simplistic, but that's like our first rule in a community. We can't be in community with each other unless we first lay down our swords against each other. We have to commit to doing no harm, even to those who harm us. And then the second commitment is not just to not harm others, but then on the positive side, to do good. To give our lives to doing what is good and right for other people. To pour out the gift of our lives, the resources of our lives, the time that we have, so that other people's lives might be liberated from the harm that they've experienced. This is what it means for us to be a community of faith in the pattern of Jesus. We literally sacrifice our lives for the good of others and for our community. That is a high calling. You've heard me say this before. It's one of my favorite quotes, but G.K. Chesterton said, Christianity has not so much been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Christianity has not so much been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. This is hard. I know that we all want to come to church and just be told that we're all okay and all of our thoughts and all of our actions are, you know, exactly the way that they should be. But the reality is, is that Jesus, by his words and his deeds and his example, calls us to a kind of life that is inherently redemptive. That by giving up violence and the impulse to violence 
and by meeting the needs of others at great cost to ourselves, that a community of people who live that way will transform their community for the better. And the problem that we face today is that Christians and Christian communities are widely seen as acting in exactly the opposite way. That we are increasingly seen as people who are willing to commit violence on behalf of our beliefs, and that we act in ways not that are good for others, but that protect our own interests. I promise you that any community of people who gather around the teachings and the words of Jesus, who renounce violence and coercion in Jesus' name, and act in ways that radically meet the needs of their community at great cost, will redeem Jesus' reputation in this society. But again, that's, that's a high calling. The key to doing that, I think, is reckoning with our desire to seek revenge. It's reckoning with the fact that we really do have inside of us a desire to hurt those who first hurt us. We really do have a desire to harm and to wound and to protect our own interests. Paul is saying that's in there. It's in us. And instead of responding to that by indulging in our desire to hurt and to harm and to control and to coerce others, he says at the beginning of Romans to offer ourselves as a sacrifice to God. That we would take all of that and we would give it to God and trust God's mercy and grace. All of this comes back to this idea at the very beginning of Romans. That because God is merciful and grace, we can give our lives to God. We can trust that God's mercy and grace will be enough to change us, to transform us, to make us into a people who are genuinely good and genuinely impactful, not by our own efforts, but by the grace that is modeled in the person of Christ. That's the faith part. The faith part is we trust God and we bring all of that inside of us, all of that hurt, all of that woundedness, all of that trauma, all of those impulses to do harm, and we would give it to God and trust that God will transform us and liberate us from those things. Today, what I want to do is invite you to take a moment to reflect on what that might look like for you. So you might notice that there are some candles on the table behind us. I want to invite you as Joey and the band play our last song to reflect on how it is that you might struggle with enemies in your life. How it is that you might be struggling with the impulse to take out vengeance on those who hurt you. How it is that you might be living your life from a place of control and coercion and even a sense of violence. 
This doesn't work unless we're willing to acknowledge that those things are inside of us. And so wherever you sit, I want to invite you to just reflect for a moment on what that might look like for you. Who is your enemy? Who has been hurting you, provoking you, trying to control or coerce you? And how is that producing in you a desire for vengeance? If you want to just bow your heads and close your eyes and reflect where you sit, uh, that's that's fine. I I want to invite you to just sort of imagine that you are bringing those concerns, bringing those hurts, bringing those hurtful impulses to God as a sacrifice. For those of you who would like to, there are some candles up here and a lighter. You can come forward and light a candle as an expression of you offering that situation, that relationship, those hurts up to God as you light the candle. I know that for me, it's helpful when I engage in a bodily act that represents the way that I offer myself to God. And so if you'd like to do that, I wanna invite you to go ahead and come forward during the song and light a candle as your expression of giving this up to God in faith. And then we'll wrap it up at the end of the song. Joey? this journey together as a community. The first is we have our Justice Works team meeting coming up today. This is for anyone here who feels really called to local justice issues in our city. This team is doing some amazing work right here in our community. So that meeting is today at 2 p.m. right on Zoom. So you can hop on there for that. Next, we have a group and team leader training that's coming up on the 31st from 4 to 7 p.m. It's going to be right here at the church. If you feel called to lead here, uh, small groups, teams, if you already are leading, then this meeting is really for you. We're going to really go in deep as to how we want to lead here. And lastly, we have this really amazing class coming up, a small group process for six weeks called Forgiveness, Understanding the Journey. And I feel like this this class is so on point for what we just talked about today, right? As you see these candles here, we realize that we all struggle with enemies in our lives, with this theme of forgiveness. I know I do. And so we have some very special people who put together this class based on the book of forgiving. And we're really just encouraging you to sign up for that. This is a new class. We really want to get a sense of, you know, who all's coming, who all might be interested. So if you're interested in this at all, sign up. And for all of those events, you can uh, look at our QR code on the back of your program. There's QR codes here around the building, on the screen. And that's an easy way to just sign up for everything we got going on.
And last, if you are a supporter of what we're doing here, we are a nonprofit. We survive on the gifts and donations from people like you. So we encourage you, if you can, to sign up to donate on our website in the back there. And, uh, or just donate with your time as a volunteer. We need that too. So before we head out, um, so I was thinking about all these candles up here and this idea of the contagious nature of evil in a sense, or, you know, someone just affecting you in a way that you don't want. This week, I want you to just pay attention to that. Like notice, when does that happen for you? This just happened to me the other day, right? When I just wasn't expecting it at all. And I was just kind of like surprised by it. And I wanted to react so bad. I wanted to say something, you know, really sharp and crass. And then I just realized that's not really what I'm called to do in this moment, right? But sometimes it's hard to notice. So this week, I just want you to pay attention when that happens to you. Why did it happen? Who was it maybe? And can you just take a moment and repay it, redeem it? with good. And then maybe come back here next week and let us know what that was about. All right, everyone. So may the peace of God be with you. We'll see you next week. Thank you.